0: Hello again, listeners, and welcome to episode two of Voices from the Northeast. In this episode, we're going to go back to the 1980s miners' strike. We're going to hear one personal story from the time of the strike, and it's going to remind us that there were many individual stories during this time period we're going to hear from neil and neil was a policeman during the minor strike and worked particularly in ashington but around the surrounding area and he's actually got uh, some fun and upbeat stories to share with us from that time but please stay tuned at the end of the podcast because you can find out how that you can add uh, your memories from this particular time to some future episodes and I'd really like to hear people's memories from this time and add them to perhaps a bigger episode about the strike, where we can tell a more rounded version of what happened at that time. Without further ado, I'm going to dial into Neil and let him tell his story. Hello there, Neil. Oh, hello, Paul. Aha. Well, at least you're connected. That's the main thing. I can hear you. You can hear me. We can. It's perfect, yes. Fantastic. And uh, in true Jack and Nori
1: style, are you sitting comfortably? I am. I'm sitting in my recliner next to the log burner, which is crackling away merrily. I feel like a Dickensian character. (laughs)
0: I'm pleased I heard that correctly. Well, um, thank you very much for agreeing to um, come on the podcast and share uh, one or two stories with everybody. Um, I suspect they'll be very well received.
1: It's a it's a pleasure. It's nice to be able to. Um, when you get older, you start and realize just how little stories are, and hopefully it'll bring it'll bring a smile to somebody's face somewhere around the world. <laughs> Well,
0: yes, I mean, I, I suspect it really will. Um,
1: well, I'm I I'm not
0: going to talk too much. I'm going to let you do most of that. Um, we chatted um, before this just to kind of get some ideas of what stories you might have wanted to share. Um, am I right in thinking the stories you were going to share were set during the miners' strike? Is that right?
1: It is, Paul. I was... Um... It was 1983, I think March was when the, uh, the miners went on strike. But to be fair, in Northumberland, because the miners actually voted against strike action, there was very little animosity between the police and the striking miners. Uh the lads went on picket duty, I suspect against the will, most of them, because mm. I think most of them would have just rather been at work. Um, and you've got to remember, I think, that after the uh, after their picket duty was done and after our picket duty was done, we still went to the club and had a pint. Well, I was
0: going to say, yes, yeah, So to clarify this for like, anyone who listens that doesn't know what your role was in, which which... I don't want to say side, but which, what role were you playing in this, Neil? You weren't, you weren't a minor, were you?
1: I wasn't. I was a police sergeant at the time. And uh, this, this little story I'd like to uh, share <laughs> with the, the podcasters. Uh, I was in charge of a Ford Transit van. There was myself and eight other PCs. That was our little group i have been put in charge of. And one morning now it must have been winter time because it was snowing heavily, and when I started work at six o'clock in the morning, I was tasked with the job of taking the lads up to the colliery workshops. The workshops were still open at the time because they were being uh the the uh the lads who wanted to go to work were being taken in there by what was called the battle buses. There were buses hired in that had mesh on the windows to protect the lads. Right. And, and the, at the workshops, actually, there were pickets on duty. Now, because it was winter time, the pickets had decided instead of standing out in the cold, they met themselves a building which resembled the old Anderson Shelter. All right. A corrugated iron workman's hut, basically. Uh, Enough room for about uh, eight guys sat comfortably inside. And outside the little Anderson Shelter, they had a brazier going to try and keep themselves warm. (laughs) We rolled up about half seven in the morning. It was still snowing. The battle buses were due to arrive and go through the gates at about eight o'clock. So me and the lads got out the van and stood on the opposite side of the entrance to the old Nissen hut where the pickets were. One of them popped his head out and looked and said, Oh hello lads. We said, Morning, and then he promptly popped his head back inside to keep warm. <laughs> so we were we were standing there and one of the lads must have got it in his mind to roll a very large snowball. (laughs) And I looked, and I couldn't believe it. I thought, he's going to throw the snowball somewhere. And sure enough, he lobbed the snowball up in the air, and it landed slap-bang on the top of the corrugated iron hut that the pickets were in. It must have sounded like a bomb dropping inside the hut. Anyway, they came running <laughs> out, nearly knocking a brazier over, and I looked in amazement. And without a word being said, they started to roll snowballs. We looked at each other, and we started to roll snowballs. <laughs> and to cut a long story short... Then began the snowball fight. The lads hiding behind the Nissan hut, (laughs) and us hiding behind what transit van. So the snowballs were being lobbed back and forward, back and forward. Great fun. What a a marvellous time. (laughs) I would hate to think what the bosses would have thought if they had seen what. However, the snowballs were continuing until the battle buses came. And I thought, oh, there's going to be there's going to be hell on here, because the battle buses are going to get sprayed with snowballs. However, as soon as the battle buses pulled up, and the managers opened the gates, the snowball fight stopped. We went either side of the entrance. The battle buses came through. Not a snowball in sight. <laughs> this- The pickets didn't even pelt the buses. I couldn't believe it. So anyway, the buses got through. The manager locked the gates. We went back towards the transit van. The pickets appeared from behind the Nissan hut. And sure enough, whoosh, the snowball fight started again. (laughs) So so that lasted about five, ten minutes when we decided, right, enough's enough. It's time we went for our breakfast. So we all got in the van and departed with a cherry hello and one last snowball thrown at the back of the van. Thud. And that <laughs> was it. And Paul, I couldn't believe it. That they didn't even throw one snowball at the battle bus. They so were quite happy <laughs> just having a snowball fight with us. So that that was <laughs> that just goes to show, I think, the uh oh, the man. friendly. <laughs> the friendliness of the pickets towards us during the strike, certainly in Northumberland. Yeah,
0: I, I mean, I think that's just, it makes me laugh every time I've heard that because, I mean, I was a, a baby, and I mean literally a baby during the strike. And so historically, to me, um, the history books tell it as, you know, kind of almost a war between the, the government and the police and the then the miners um, who were on the picket lines. Um, so it's 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 always quite a lovely image to imagine, yeah. Just just lads, just lads having a f- snowball fight. And I mean, like you say, You all ended up in the same pubs at the end of the day, didn't you? You know, didn't?
1: There used to be, I think I count, I think there used to be eighteen CIU clubs in Ashen at yeah. the time, and the lads still went for a pint together with the polices, We all knew each other. Yeah, yeah. and and in fairness. To, to everybody, to all the miners, it was only a minority of guys who were really dedicated to the strike and to the action that had a, had a bean up on it the rest of the lads, as I say just, they really wanted to go back to work and make money mm. for their families um, so, yeah the, the bosses to be said, no, no, you can't do this, but we could because we had to live with each other. After, oh yes. After they left the picket line, and after we finished work, we all had to live together. Ashington wasn't a very big place then. Yeah. Oh, God, what a
0: different, uh, what a different time. I, I do like that. that. Also, you had snow, which I mean, we keep getting the odd flurry of it right now, but it's nothing, nothing great, is
1: it? Oh, um, there, there was a lot of snow on that morning. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh gosh! Yeah. Well, thank you very much for for that. I, I'm, I'm, that one, like I say, I've heard that before, and uh, it was a. It's a good, and I like that story. It's a totally different, um, like a different take on that whole era than we get. than then even the kids get taught at school. I mean, I'm a teacher, and I've, I, I'm aware of how some of this is sometimes taught, and it's a real black and white issue. That so, it's quite. That's what I like about doing this project we're doing now. Is we're not going to give people the kind of um, the the black and white issues of history. I want people to be able to tell whether, Oh yeah, well that was going on in the country, but what was actually going on in the town and in the village and in our back garden was this. So that, I like that one.
1: Yeah. Um, The the people, the people of Asherton are very, are very proud, proud people. And the, the really, they didn't vote for the strike and didn't want it but they felt that they had to do that duty in some way and they did yeah. but it was good humoured yeah yeah
0: yeah well and and what was the other story you were going to share then Neil?
1: yeah well of course as you know i'm uh, i'm a ventriloquist uh, possibly the world's worst ventriloquist and of course being a podcast you can't see my lips move and
0: i was going to say i think this is some of the best ventriloquism you've ever done
1: Actually, the 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 COVID the COVID time is quite good for ventriloquists because both the dummy and the ventriloquist have to wear masks, and you can't and you can't see the lips move anyway. So, <laughs> a great time for for ventriloquists. Yeah. Well, again, this this involves it was involved with a minor strike was we still on, and it came to around Christmas time, and. I used to entertain the schools. I used to go around the schools entertaining with me ventriloquist act. It all started when I actually when I was on the traffic department, and I used to go and do road safety talks to the to the smaller children. And my wife bought me a dummy called Charlie, which I've had now for about forty-seven years. And I have to say, Paul, I'm not getting any getter at it. Um, <laughs> and I used to go and do the road safety, and I used to take the the dummy because the kids used to take notice of the dummy rather than me. And um, I'd been booked long before the miners' strike to go to the, um, I remember it was Coulson Park uh, First School on Alexander Road. Again, I was in charge of the lads in the transit van and we're doing our little job. We might have even been at the workshops. I, I can't even remember that. But anyway, after we're finished, we had to go to Pontieland for our breakfast. Ponteeland was the headquarters then. And everybody had to go there and be supplied with our breakfast. But I said to the lads, look, I've got an appointment at the school at 10 o'clock to entertain the kids. I can't let them down. They're relying on us. So I thought, right. You lads just drop me off with me cases at the school and you go across the pond to you for your breakfast. As soon as you've finished your breakfast, come back and see us. Me act, if you can call it that, lasted 45 minutes to an hour. And I thought that would be perfect timing. So the lads dropped us off at the school, out with me cases. I went in, I got changed into me clowns outfit I put me dummy in the case, and I got everything ready, me magic tricks, and away the lads set off to Ponteland. I did me act. The kids thought I was great, and I was, to be fair. And anyway, (laughs) I'm waiting waiting for the lads to come back. It's about 11 o'clock. I'm waiting for the lads to come back, thinking, where are they? And half past 11 came. They're a bit late. Maybe they're having a longer breakfast. 12 o'clock came, then half past 12. I'm starting to sweat then because I'm thinking where on earth Other, I'm supposed to be in charge of them, lot. And I, I had a radio, but obviously I couldn't use it because I was supposed to be in the van with them. Anyway, it got to about 1 o'clock when the lads rolled up. I was past myself, as you can imagine. I says, where you been? I says, three hours. Three hours you've left us here and I couldn't contact you. They said, Oh, no to worry about. We just got upon Pontieland when a little bit of trouble started at Shillbottle Pit up on the A1. So we got sent there. I said, So you all went to Shill Bottle Pit without us? They said, Well, you were entertaining the kids. We couldn't <laughs> we couldn't come and get you in the middle of your entertaining, so we just went. He says, anyway, there was hardly any bother at all. I says, but what about, did anybody ask where the sergeant was? He says, no, actually, nobody noticed you weren't there. <laughs> so, and, <laughs> I, I put me gear back in the van and away we went, and sure enough, nobody had noticed that I wasn't there. So, <laughs> and, D- <laughs> yeah, <big Neil>. <laughs> and <laughs> I hate to think what would happen if you did that now in the police force. Oh my goodness! Yes. I think you'd be sacked. Yeah, I don't think you could get away with
0: that
1: kind of thing I now. I suspect did you? not. No, 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 no. Can I? Can I just tell you a little thing occurred was that day. when I was on. when I was on the traffic department? It was because a friend of ours was involved in an accident yesterday, and it just put us in mind of it. And. There was one of the lads. I'll not mention mixing it. Oh, I've mentioned him. <laughs> look, uh, and he—he he damaged one of the patrol cars. Oh dear. Yeah, and it—it it wasn't much. It could be fixed, but he says mm, he didn't want to go through all the rigmarole of having to put the forms in and all this, and you know, maybe have get suspended from driving for a bit. So we used to have a good connection on the ear. one it was Jackson's garage. We used to pop in there for the odd cup of tea. And it was handy because it was right on the Air one and there was always a patrol car on the Air one there, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So what we did was, we arranged. The lad took the patrol car up that he dented, mm-hmm. and the lads at the garage said, "Oh, we can fix that." He says, "It'll take. We'll do. We'll start it now, but by the time we paint it, you'll have to wait till sort of tomorrow afternoon to pick it up." We thought, right. So what we thought we did was we both got in the same car, in my car, and we mm. drove around for the rest of the shift. And I would speak to my mate on the radio and say, where are you? <laughs> and he would get the same radio in his hand and say, I'm at Newbiggin." I'd say, well, I'll meet you at Newbigin. So I would drive across the Newbigin with him in the car and would sit for a while and then say, right. So actually, the two was... What I, in the same car all the time luckily we didn't get a, a call to go to two different places at the same time so anyway the next day nobody noticed the car wasn't actually garaged so we went back up to the uh, Jackson's garage the next day and uh, picked the car up and the lad just paid for the damage of his pocket and nobody ever knew mm-hmm. so it, everybody was a winner. It didn't cost the police force or the insurance company anything, and the, and the lad just had to pay pay for the damage out his pocket. So again, I don't imagine that could be done nowadays.
0: No, no, I don't imagine it could be done at no. all. There <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we say simpler times or better times? Maybe. I mean, you know. Yeah. Eight. I think okay. I love that. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, there were there were good times, um, and yes, I, I, I suspect you know we just had a little stick in our pocket. That was what means of defence. Yeah.
0: And, and
1: different, different times. When you see policies now, it makes you wonder how they can ever run after people. <laughs>
0: like, yeah, they are somewhat weird. Them.
1: Yeah, we uh, we had a me and me me partner that I used to work nature with. We had a we had a keep. A keep fit regime. Uh, the, the car was garaged at the police houses in Ashen, and we decided one summer's morning that to keep fit, after putting petrol in the car at Morbeth, we would drive the car back to Ashen, but one of us would run behind the car to try and keep fit. Yeah. So we decided we would run a mile and then would swap over and the other one would run a mile and then would swap over. So we've got a mile each. This is in full uniform. It was only six o'clock, uh, five o'clock in the morning, so there's nobody about. Full uniform, so we decide we'll run. Well, we've got a mile each and then we decided we'd best make that half a mile each. <laughs> By the time we got to Ashington, we were that out of breath. We just knock the keep the keep fit regime on the head, so we never, we never did that again. Probably
0: best. I'm not sure how long that would last as a keep fit regime. Yeah,
1: it, it just it was a non-starter. I, I don't know. I, I have yeah. no idea why we even suggested it. Because when I got in when you, I got you... in the bed at six o'clock in the morning, I was heaving, I was panting. <laughs> Wallace says, "What's what's wrong? Where what do you what do you been?" Dana says, "Keep fit, keep fit regime." Yeah. That never happened again either. Oh my goodness! All, all the stories.
0: Ah, oh, well, you've got loads more, so I will, <laughs> I will pick your brains for those um, at a later date. We will, uh, we'll close off with those. We're hitting the uh, twenty-minute 20 mark, which I think is a nice listening time for people. Um, so we will, I will thank you very much for your time and memories. Um, I appreciate that a lot, Neil. I really do. Thanks, Paul. Thank Been a pleasure.
1: Uh, uh, um... To share. <laughs> Jake, take care, everybody. Yeah, yeah. you take care, Neil. Stay soon. safe. Tada,
0: everybody. ta Tada. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. I really enjoy listening to Neil talk. He has so many stories to share from, oh goodness me, just every year he's lived. <laughs> Um, And I'm sure I'm going to have him back on the show and um, record some extra episodes because he's got so many more stories. And I, I want all of them down on audio so everyone can enjoy them. The funny ones, the sad ones, the weird ones. But I wanted to talk very briefly at the end of this episode because it's touched on a piece of history that is hugely important to the northeast of England. Indeed, the whole country. But it left its mark on the communities of the northeast there's no getting away from that now i grew up in the 1980s and 90s and so i saw the the legacy of this but there are plenty families who lived through it you know were were young adults and adults at the time and lived through it and then its legacy as well and so i wanted to to temper the good humored story with a little bit of research and information And long term, I would really like listeners to to get in touch and share your memories from that time with me as well because I'd, I'd love to do a really big episode on this with a lot of different people's memories, good ones and bad ones. I think there's a lot of stories to tell from this particular bit in our history. So let me just share a little bit of, I guess, historical context. I just felt that's something I really wanted to do in an episode like this. The 1984 miners' strike... At the time, there were 18 working pits across Durham and Northumberland. It lasted a year, and the aim of it was to prevent pit closures. It is remembered as the most bitter industrial dispute in British history. And I found a really great website from Beamish Museum. It's an online archive that they've put together, which some of the evidence they've got on there actually talks about Ashington in particular. I even found a a freedom of information request letter from the Home Office, um, which was from July 16th, 1984, which again mentions Ashen and the surrounding area. I got a couple of quotes from that. It was written by um, the Northumbria police at the time. They'd been asked to supply information to the Home Office about any behaviour and uh, threats towards individuals during the strike. So... Let me just read a couple of excerpts that particularly mention Ashington. At Ashington Coal Company, a watchman was threatened after confronting two men who had stated they intended to damage machinery. Another one here. A haulage contractor at Bedlington, who transports coal, received a telephone threat. And then a few days later, all the lorry windscreens were smashed. Now, that's from the Home Office letter. And I think it's important to, you know, temper the, the good-humoured stories from the strike with, with some of the stories that others will definitely remember as soon as it's brought up. And I wanted to mention a couple of other things that were left on the Durham, um, the uh, Beamish Museum website archive, which are great. Some lovely little comments. Real personal history. My father-in-law was a policeman during the strike. He tells me that him and his colleagues were provided with packed lunches, which they then gave to the miners on the picket lines. Somebody else left the uh, comment, I was working in a butcher's at the time, and I remember just how little the miners had to spend on money to feed an entire family. And linked to that, our local supermarket, there collected donations of tinned food and gave them to the miners and their families. It was a hard time for many. Now, that's a bit of brief history and historical context that I've just pulled together because I felt it's an important story to tell and it's a really important time and, like I said, it left its mark on the people of our area. And I didn't want to have done our first episode on the strike and it for been an entirely jolly affair because I don't want to give the impression that that's how everyone sees it. If you'd like to help me out by adding some personal stories to this, please do. I'd love to do a bigger episode on this. Then please head over to the website, which is anchor.fm forward slash voices from the Northeast. Press the message button, and it'll give you the opportunity to leave me a voicemail message. And then it'll just ask you for your name and email address. Uh, It might ask for you to set up a password as well. But as soon as it's done that, Uh, you will get an email to tell you that you've been added to a future episode. So it's quite cool. It'll tell you when to tune in to the episode and hear your contribution. I'd really love that because, you know, like pages on Facebook where, you know, hundreds of people can comment and and share their memories. I want us to do this in an audio format. I want to do that so people can really share their history. All right. Thank you for listening to a really great episode and uh, hopefully hear from you soon.